Caleb is a business school professor at Nanyang Technological University, or for those who are in Singapore, NTU. This podcast was originally scheduled almost three months ago to talk about his research until an unexpected event that appended Caleb's life as he knew for over 30 years. I'll start tonight by reading out a text you sent me on August 18th, 8.40 p.m. This is quite a hard message to write. I need to ask for a prayer. I have been diagnosed with a very rare anatomical condition in my heart where one of my main vessels going to my arteries is mispositioned and runs between two other vessels. And it is up to 50% blocked according to the CT scan. I'm warded at hospital overnight and will speak to a cardiologist and heart surgeon tomorrow for advice on surgery options. Take us to the beginning of your journey. How did we get here? And what was going on mentally and psychologically when you wrote this message on that night when you stayed over at the hospital? All right. Um, yeah, thanks, MC, for having me on the show. Um, you know, if you remember, we met a couple years ago, right, at the Tungbaru courts, after, actually on the basketball court. Yeah, um, and we you were, were one of the fittest I saw, <laughs> not just that day, but yeah. across all the times I've played. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look, look uh, to be honest, nobody would have guessed that you know even at that time and even now right that i had something um really wrong with my body right um something that was uh um you know intrinsically wrong with my body right um so i'll just start at at basically um when i found out about what i had um yeah so what happened was uh this is august 14 august 14 or 15 um, I was about to teach a class at NTU, and I was sitting in my office, and uh, suddenly, you know, after lunch, uh, I started feeling this chest pain, right, this kind of weight on my chest, and uh, you know, it was just it was just kind of sitting there on my chest for uh, it lasted for about two hours, right? And so at that time, uh, I was just at my, my desk. I was I was thinking something's wrong because I've never felt this pain before, and it's, it wasn't like super intense. It was just like this heaviness and a little bit of trouble breathing, uh, shortness of breath. Um, but I didn't think it was, you know, maybe that bad, right? So what I did was I just took a nap, and then um, I got ready to teach my class. And then I, I, I got up, uh, you know, mustered up the strength, stood in front of the class for three hours, and taught, right? Which, in retrospect, was actually really pretty dangerous. Um, and then that night, I drove home. And uh, on the way back, I just remember thinking I was super, uh, super tired, um, like almost like I ran, you know, like 10K or a marathon or something. I was just like exhausted. I'm like, then I knew something was pretty wrong. But I had good sleep that night. Um, the next day, nothing happened. No chest pain, nothing. Um, so I was thinking maybe it was just a one-time episode, something that just, just came and, and went and now I'm, I'm fine, right? So I didn't think anything of it, right? But a day and a half later, that night, um, I actually went to bed and I had, uh, I had ear pain, right? So it was an ear infection. Um, and my, 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 just my left ear was like throbbing like crazy and I couldn't sleep that night. The next morning I'm like, okay, I have to go to a GP, right? Just, just for the fact of fixing this, this ear pain that I had. And, um, the, the ear pain, you know, again, retrospectively, that ear pain is what got me to go to the GP, right? Which is, which is the first step of this journey. And so it was unrelated to your chest pain. 
Yeah, yeah. So amazingly, you know, uh, there's no connection between my ear pain uh, and my chest pain. There's just, there's just so two separate things. So how do you find out about the heart condition through yeah. an ear pain? Yeah, so again, that morning, um, I went to the GP and I found just a random GP, walked in. I was like, okay, I got, I got, this, uh, this, this, I got two problems. I got uh, ear pain and chest pain. And he's like, okay, let's take it one step at a time, right? So ear pain first, and then he diagnosed me and it's all just, you know, some antibiotics and whatnot. And then I was walking out the door and I actually remembered, I was like, well, well, what about my chest pain? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So he's like, oh, yeah, okay, so what do you think about that? And then and he's like, yeah, let me just do an ECG, right? So he hooked me up to the machine, you know, took a reading of my, of my heart, and then the, the, the ECG chart came out. And he looked at it for a while, and then he noticed something wrong, right? And, uh, and then he showed me what a real ECG, like a normal ECG looks like. And uh, I could tell, and he's like, he pointed out on the chart, he pointed to this, the tail end of the of the chart, and he said, "This you see this part? It's supposed to be a positive slope, but yours is a negative slope. It's an inverse." And I'm like, "What does that mean?" And he's like, "I don't know, right? But I know something's wrong." So he's like, "You you know, just on the safe side, you better go to the hospital." Right? Were you were you worried when you at, saw the chart? At that point, I was like, I already knew something was was probably wrong, right? Because but I was maybe a little a little bit of denial. I'm like, "What could what could really be wrong with me? I don't know." I was fearful, all right, like something's wrong, you know, I think it's normal to be kind of scared at that point. Um, but I didn't think it was, I had no idea what it was, right? So it was just the fear of uncertainty. Yeah. And then the next thing he knows, he's like, go to, go to the, you know, the NUH, uh, go to A&E and get it checked out, right? And so and good on you for listening to him that night instead of just walking away. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, well, I mean, anybody else who would have told me, I probably would have said just, just been like, oh, I'm fine. But the GP told me, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you know, he, he probably knows what he's talking about. So uh, he sent me there. Uh, I went straight to NUH. Um, on the way, I texted my girlfriend. I'm like, I'm going to NUH because I had some chest, you know, the, the chest pain is, is uh, I told her about this earlier already, but she, she had told me that, you know, if it, does, if it doesn't come back, then I think it should be okay. So we both thought that at the same time. I told her that morning that the, the, the GP had, had sent me there. So I'm on the way to uh, NUH, right? Um, so that's how I got, got there. And when I got to NUH, um, they started doing all these tests on me, right? So they did the ECG again, confirmed that the, the chart was wrong, that there was something wrong with me. And then they did blood tests, all right? They took my blood. They, they ran a bunch of stuff. And uh, in the process, I was just waiting there, waiting to receive the news, right? And what happened was uh, the, the doctor on call, the A&E doctor on call came up to me, looked at me, and he had the same response that a lot of people probably have when they, they, they looked at me like, dude, you don't even look like you're, you're in your 30s, right? You know, you look pretty fit. I don't think it's anything, right? So he gave me a lot of confidence because he probably, he told me, he's like, probably nothing's wrong with you. Right? Probably nothing's wrong with you. It's maybe just an episode of something. Um, but he didn't know at that point. Right? So, um, yeah. So you're uh, waiting for the test results. Yeah. And so the results came out. And so when the results came out, it was, uh, it was, it was a, so the first set of results came out. Right? Yeah. The first set of results, which is the, the, um, the blood tests. Blood tests came back negative, right? which, is, which is great because they were checking for a heart attack. Because yeah. right? if, uh, if, if I had a heart attack, um, it would show up on the blood test. Like I would show some kind of damage to my heart already, right? Um, but those are all negative. So he basically ruled out the heart attack. Mm. So he was like, yeah, you know, I think everything's fine. Um, it's probably an episode, but, but this is the last thing that he said, which was wise, right? He said, you know, if you really want to be sure that it's nothing, 
then let me schedule you for a CT scan, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what, what's that, right? And I didn't really know. And he's like, okay, you know, you're basically in the machine and they'll do a, a, you know, inject you with a contrast agent that circulates your, your body, goes through your heart and whatnot um, to see the blood flow, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can really see what's wrong. Um, but you got to pay out of pocket and it's about a thousand bucks. So do you want to do, do it? And I was like, yeah, just do it, right? Because I, I wanted the assurance that I was okay and then I can go home, right? Um, so he scheduled me for that. Um, he, he called up his friend, uh, and then he, they brought me in right at the, basically the last slot of the day to do the, um, you know, the CT scan. And I was there and just going through that whole thing. And then they, I had to wait another two hours for the result to come back, right? Cause they had to analyze and whatnot. And it was taking a while. So I was texting my girlfriend. I was like, uh, the CT scan, I'm still waiting for it, but everything should be fine. And she was waiting for me outside and they let her in. Right. Um, and again, so this is the point where I'm again, nervous, uncertain about the results. Um, but I was still at that point because the blood tests were clear. I was, I wasn't thinking it was anything. Right. Finally, after about two and a half hours, the result come back, came back and the, the guy, um, came to me and he was like, good news, bad news. Right. Good news, bad news. Good news is you don't have a blocked artery, right? It's not a blocked artery, which means you didn't have a heart attack. Um, your artery is actually clear, but the bad news is that you have a congenital issue. I'm like, I, I don't really, wasn't really familiar with that term. And he's like, um, congenital means you're, you're born with it, right? It was something that looks like you're born with. Of course, he didn't have too many details at that point, but he's like, it's, it's something wrong. It's a defect. And so he's like, I already talked to uh, the radiologist. I talked to the uh, a surgeon. Uh, and basically we discussed, and basically you have what's called an anomalous coronary artery origin, right? And I've never heard those string of words together before. So I was confused. I'm like, what, what was that? What does that mean? And he's like, basically, you have a, a vessel in your heart that is born, uh, that you were born with, that is, is misaligned. It's coming out at a, a different angle, and it actually is trapped between two of your arteries, mm. right? The vessel's trapped between two of your arteries. So as you get older and as you exert yourself through physical activity, uh, those arteries are going to expand and it's going to constrict that one uh, vessel. And that's probably what happened to you. Um, you had constriction. And the CT scan shows that it's 50% blocked, right? So this time he's telling me all this stuff and I'm like, you know, what are you saying, right? Like I was like completely in denial. I was like, no, that's, that's like, I couldn't take it, take the news. And so I'm like, so, so what? So what, what are you telling me? Um, how do I fix this, right? And he said, basically, there's only one option, right? Open heart surgery, right? Um, so, I mean, dude, like imagine you're me, right? Imagine you're me sitting there in the A&E, um, just getting delivered this news that I was born with a heart issue, a heart defect that I n- didn't know about for 30 plus years. And all of a sudden they told me the only way to fix it is, uh, is open heart surgery. And did he tell you what was the worst that could happen to you if you didn't fix it? Yeah. Um, he said, he actually told me that um, this condition is so rare that it's really hard to detect, right? Uh, the way that they usually detect this is after collapse or after death through an autopsy. Postmortem. Postmortem, yeah. Like, which means it's usually someone who, who could be fit or not, but going through exercise and then some kind of physical exertion collapses on the, on, you know, on the track or whatnot on, in a race or on, the, on a basketball court and then just kind of has sent to the hospital, may, might make it, might not, you know, has a heart attack basically. And then after they do, a, they, they, they uh, do an autopsy and they find out that uh, 
they died of this congenital issue. Could that also mean that there's a, a lack of sufficient expertise or experience from the surgeon side to operate on this condition with yeah. live people? Yeah, so that was a good question. I mean, um, at that point, I wasn't thinking that yet, right? Because yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't I, just the first time I've heard this, first yeah. time I've known about this condition, um, I didn't know, you know, at NUH, did they have the expertise? But they were telling me basically uh, that, that the only way to fix this is open heart, right? They didn't actually at that point tell me what the procedure actually was, how to fix it and, and so forth. But again, in retrospect, um, all this was kind of pre-planned in a sense that like um, all these things coincidentally happened so that the person who was, uh, who was assigned my case was the head surgeon at NUH with, uh, I think, the department head with a lot of experience um, because my case was really rare. Right, like it's they, urgent too. It was, it was not necessarily urgent because they told me that as long as I didn't, uh, I kept you know uh, inactive. I basically mm. stopped exercising. I stopped exerting myself. Then I wouldn't be in uh, any immediate danger. But I had to stop basically stop everything. Stop work. Stop exercising. Stop everything. Right, and just mm. take it easy. Right, no stress. All of that. Um, so it wasn't an emergency, like an emergency uh, uh, open heart surgery. But I had to decide. Right, and they said basically the decision that I had to make was. Either you try to live with this condition for the rest of your life, right? Which means you never exercise again. You never really stress yourself out. Um, and you just basically live life, try to be, you know, chill as possible. Don't walk upstairs. Don't do anything like that. Uh, because anytime you do that, you're, you're increasing the chances that the, there's going to be constriction, right? Um, and he, even he said, look, that's, that's not a way to live, right? That's not a way to live. Because look at you, you're still young. You still want to exercise. Um, there's no way you can just basically do that. So the only way to fix it basically is you, you really have to consider doing open heart surgery to fix it. So yeah, I mean, you can imagine in my in, in my mind at that time I was I was going through a lot. Right? I was going through like how do I how do I face this right? How do I face this uh, decision in my life right? Um, so it was tough. It was that tough. was the night when you send out the message. Yeah. To no. Your friends, yeah. Family. Yeah. Yeah. That, that night, they said they had to ward me uh, at NUH um, because they had to run a bunch of tests and make sure that the 50% blockage wouldn't lead to something else. Um, they had to monitor me overnight, uh, over the next couple of days. So I was warded that night, and uh, you know, I called my, my girlfriend to come into A&E. Uh, they let her come in, and we just kind of cried. We, we, we questioned. We prayed together. We asked, we asked God, why, um, you know, why did I have this? You know, what's going on? What's the purpose mm-hmm. of this? How do we deal with this? You know, we prayed for strength, for, uh, for healing, right? For healing. I mean, I, at that point, I was hoping that God were, would miraculously heal me some way or, or another, right? Because open heart surgery, I'm like, that's just crazy, right? You think about like how much, how, how big of a surgery that would be. That's like the second biggest surgery you can have, you know, you know next to brain surgery or whatnot, right? So it's, it's a big thing. And, uh, and, that, and that night, um, I had to call my parents, right? I had to call my parents. I had to tell my family. I had to tell um, some of my closer friends, right? Um, uh, and I had to break the news, right? So it was, it was, it was a tough night um, dealing with um, that decision and that situation. And yeah. also the, the emotions from your loved ones, from your family. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't want to stress them out too much. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, like everybody got... The message that I sent out, I sent out this mass message to everybody. 
everyone had the same reaction. Like, what? Like, how could this is like a sign of unbelief, right? Yeah. Like, how did it happen? Like, you know, uh, you know, the least thing you want is a, a chain of messages from yeah. each one of your friends trying to reply to them. And I mean, yeah, I, that night I, I, I replied a lot of messages. Yeah. I, I got a lot of, or I mean, of course, great, you know, great, encouraging, yeah. you know, messages of support and whatnot, of prayer, uh, which, which did comfort me. But at the same time, I was also thinking, you know, great, you know, I had the support, but at the same time, how do I, how do I face this, this decision? Like, how do I face this issue? How do I, um, how do I survive this? Right. Because I still knew that, um, like the surgeon was telling me, I had this ticking time bomb in my heart, right? It could go off anytime and I could just collapse and die. Right. So that night I felt a lot. I mean, I thought a lot about death. I thought a lot about dying, thought a lot about, you know, am I going to survive, survive this? Uh, am I going to survive um, surgery? Am I going to survive uh, um, just just this whole just whole situation? And so it was, yeah, it was a, it was a dark night. I would say that was a dark night um, of just wrestling with this with this with this whole thing. Was this the first time or the closest you've ever been with death? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I never had a close brush with death before. Um, I had injuries before, right? But yeah, the 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 thought of death was something um, I, would, I would probably put off for, for many years. I'm like, I'm right. not going to die. Um, but this really did show me that life is fragile and life is precious. And uh, uh, there might have been um, maybe a purpose in all of this, right? But I just didn't, at that point, didn't know what it, didn't know what it was. Right? I didn't know what it was. What would be the things that you would miss the most if you were to collapse the next day? Yeah, so that night, um, you know, um, just just my loved ones came into my memory, um, and most of all, I had the feeling like, you know, there's things I didn't accomplish in life yet, mm. right? Like I didn't, um, you know, uh, I was planning to, to to marry my girlfriend. Um, I was thinking like, you know, I had plans for marriage and all that kind of stuff. So what if I don't get to marry her? What if I don't get to uh, have kids, right? Raise a family. Um, and then, and then kind of, um, uh, experience that joy of, of the next stage of my life. Right. Mm. So, you know, as a Christian, uh, I knew that obviously what's after death, I knew that, um, you know, uh, you know, with a hundred percent certainty that there is an afterlife. Right. And as a Christian, I know that if I believe in Jesus, if I, um, profess that, um, my sins are covered and I will, I will be in heaven. Right. I knew that to be, to be the, the truth. Right. And yet a part of me, I'm like, I don't want to go there yet. Like I'm not, I haven't, I haven't done what I wanted to do yet. Right. Like I know heaven's gonna be great. And yet at the same time, I'm like, I'm not done on earth. Like I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go there yet. Right. I know it's great, but I still had things to do. So I struggled. Right. I prayed to God that night. I'm like, don't take me yet. Right. I know it's great. If that's your plan, your, your will be done, but I still wanted to live. Right. And that, that yearning was still there. So that night was a lot of struggling, right? And that's when I texted people and said, pray for me, right? Pray for me because I can't deal with this decision. It's a really, it's a really tough one. Yeah. I think every day we just wake up assuming it's going to continue yeah. until the end of time. Yeah. Yeah. Unless we take a close brush with the yeah. God of death. Yeah. 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 It, ch- it changes your perspective completely because... Um, you don't realize, we don't realize that 
the next second something could happen, right? The next second you could get hit by a car, or next second like a, a, a bomb could go off. Like in some some parts of the world, there's so much conflict and chaos and and stuff like that. We we yeah. don't, especially in Singapore, we feel safe. We feel protected, right? So many things we take for granted. Yeah, for sure, totally. So fast forward to the next day, there yeah. you are sitting with the doctor, with the surgeon, yeah, yeah. discussing the options. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they, they basically laid down the options for me. They said, um, you know, do it better, sooner, better than later, of course, right? Because the longer you, you put this off, um, uh, uh, there's a chance, there's a risk that there's going to be block, further block, blockage and whatnot. Um, and, uh, and so um, I had the choice, right? I had to, I, you know, my parents flew in pretty closely after that. Um, and so we had, as a family, we decided that I would go through with the surgery, right? I would, I would pick the surgeon. Um, and then basically put my hands, my life in her hands, right? Uh, and let her do her thing, right? And just trust that, that God would, would um, you know, uh, pull through, right? So we, you know... Um, well, first step is you said yes to surgery. Yeah, yeah. And then I think there are also a few options she laid out to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was in crazy In case too. Yeah. things turns out not the way as expected yeah. because they haven't opened you up yet. Yeah, yeah, good point. I forgot about that. Um, they they actually told me that uh, the CT scan wasn't very clear. They couldn't tell exactly what was wrong. Their best guess was that um, you know what they what they told me was was you know my vessels trapped between two arteries, and they needed to just go in there and basically fix that one vessel, right? But yeah. they said you know in worst case scenarios that they draw out like four different scenarios. Uh, um, um, the worst case, or there's two bad cases, right? One bad case would be that they needed to do a bypass which means you know they just forego that vessel and then take a vessel from from my leg or whatnot uh and then basically do a bypass right to bypass that blockage mm. right and that's what usually happens with uh you know people with blocked arteries and so forth mm. um the second worst case would have been uh, and this is a really bad case which would have been the vessel actually goes through a, a valve mm. one of the valves in my heart which means um you have, would to have to replace the valve replace the valve right replace the valve and that's a big thing because uh, to replace a valve, um, they have to give me either uh, a metal valve, right? A metal, uh, both are artificial, but one, one was a, a metal valve. Um, and the, it's, a, it's a, again, a trade-off. The trade-off is that if, it's, uh, if, I, if I do choose that, I would do it one time, right? I would have a metal valve implanted in me uh, and it would be permanent, right? It would last till, you know, presumably I, I die, right? Um, but the bad side of that is that, uh, I would have to take pain, uh, blood thinners for the rest of my life, right? Cause it's, the body doesn't accept it that much. There could be clear, uh, I mean, the high chance of blockage and whatnot. So I would be on blood, uh, thinners and which means I can't exercise. I mm. can't get a cut. I can't bruise up because any of those would basically increase, increase the chances of me just bleeding through, right? Mm. I, no block, uh, my blood wouldn't seal, right? Uh, the second option is if I don't go with the artificial metal valve, is a, uh, a one made of animal, which mm. would be pig, right? A pig valve. Um, again, the trade-off is it's a higher quality of life, right? I could probably do some of the stuff that I was doing before, uh, less blood thinners, but at the same time, uh, they weren't sure how long it would last for, not as durable, mm. right? So what I have to do another surgery maybe 10, 15 years down the road. Um, and so they're like, worst case scenario, we go in there, we open you up, 
and and it runs find through out. A valve. Yeah, it runs through yeah. a valve. We gotta on the spot decide what to do. Put put in a valve for you, stitch you back up. You gotta live with that for the rest of your life, right? So, that, to me, that's that's the scariest part. Yeah. Of this whole experience is you going to the surgery not knowing what yeah. kind of condition you wake up to. Yeah. yeah. Whether you have a metal valve, a pig's valve, or if you, whether you're going to wake up at yeah. all. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You exactly. Could, there's non-negligible chance of failure in any kind of operations. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you rank the priorities? Um, you know, obviously they made me choose between the pig or the or the metal valve. I had to actually sign a consent form and yeah. choose one. Um, I chose the pig one, by the way, um, just because I figured, you know, I I, I still want to be able to exercise. And it'll, it'll be, you know, kind of funny to tell people that I'm like 1% pig, right, <laughs> after surgery. Um, uh, but I had to sign. I had to, I had to decide. Um, I was just telling people, I was telling people, hey, pray that, that it would be option one, mm. the best option, which is just that they would go in there, find that the, the artery, I mean, sorry, the, the vessel goes through the artery, fix that up. And then I would have, I don't, and then the, the recovery, the prognosis would be pretty clear. Like I would be able to return back to life as normal before mm. the surgery. Right. Mm. Um, so I was praying for that and I was, I was hoping that that would be the case. Mm. They still told me though, that, uh, you know, with, with heart surgery, there's going to be risk of death, right? The, the, the chances of death, and they made it seem pretty, pretty manageable. They're like, oh, it's like a couple percent, a couple percent all adds up, you know. Um, but it's either one or zero. It's it's never there's no between that. Yeah, yeah. You either that, die or you don't die, right? Yeah. In that sense, it's, it's it's like that. But they're like, you know, it's it's a couple of percent chance uh, of death uh, resulting from you know maybe uh, uh, you know your body can't take the anesthesia, maybe there's some further complications during the surgery, maybe uh, you know you bleed out during the surgery or whatnot. Um, so they're saying all that compounded together, it's a couple of percent, right? So I'm like, you know, it doesn't sound too bad, but at the same time, I have to go in there. I actually have to face this 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 risk, right? So mm. that's still unsettling at the end of the day, right? Knowing that there's there's chance of death and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. If if the if the if the downside is you lose everything, there's no upside that can make up for it. Doesn't matter how small the probability is. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, while you go into the surgery. Yeah. If we may jump to that, yeah, yeah, scenario, yeah, yeah, you're on the surgery table, yeah, um, yeah. So I'll just jump to to when when I'm I was being wheeled into the surgery surgery to do it. Um, it was funny because uh, um, my case was scheduled as the second surgery of the day. And they mm. usually do it one morning, one afternoon. Mine was supposed to be early in the afternoon. Mm. Um, the case before me had some complications, probably like an emergency bypass mm. um, for a heart attack patient and whatnot. And so it was, uh, it was delayed. My, my surgery got delayed because mm. that previous surgery got delayed. So uh, I think my, my surgeon actually had to go in and help that surgeon as well, that surgery as well. And then uh, I had to wait, right? So my surgery got delayed for about two hours. My parents and my girlfriend and my friends, everyone was wait, waiting outside, um, you, know, you know, just kind of, waiting for what's what's to happen um and so when they put me on the table they were a little bit rushed right because the, the nurses everyone was was rushed because the longer that surgery was delayed my surgery get delayed and then it would just run over time right so 
they were trying to get everything quickly on the road. Um, and so they, they put me on the table. And um, the last thing I remember seeing was the lights, right? I was just like, looking straight up the lights. And um, because they were rushed, um, you know, they didn't have enough time, I think, to clean off the lights, right? Of the, the surgery lights right above the table. Uh, and so I saw blood, right? So it was probably blood from the previous guy. And it was just sprayed onto the, onto the lights, right? So I remember seeing that. I'm like, whose blood is that? Uh, and then they put on the anesthesia on my mask. And then you I was out. You didn't get an answer. Yeah, no, I, I, didn't, I, didn't actually, I didn't actually ask them, like, whose blood is that? I was thinking in my yeah. mind, like, whose blood is that? But I was, what I was telling you later on, um, I, had a, I had a couple of thoughts uh, in retrospect, um, thinking about that exact moment. How easy was it? How afraid was I at that moment to go into surgery? Uh, I was afraid to a certain extent, but also at the same time, I had this calmness because um, I knew that at that moment, I had no um, control, right? I had no control about um, my life, right? It was totally not in my, my, um, in my hands. It was in the life of the surgeon, right? I remember you texted me uh, telling me that, um, you know, you, you said basically, you got this, you know, you got this, bro, um, you know, like, and it's, it's, it's good encouragement. But I was thinking about that time, like, do I really got this? I mean, do I got this? Is it, is it in my control? No, it wasn't in my control. It's actually in the control of, of course, the surgeon, everything like the anesthesia, the heart machine that was keeping me alive, the ventilator, uh, um, all of that was not in my control. And all of that um, is actually in God's control, right? So I had no, I had no um, say in what was going to happen at that moment, right? In the surgery, the four hours of the surgery, no control. Nothing, nothing was in my hands, right? Nothing that I could do at that point. Nothing of my history, of, of anything that I owned at that point, my skills, my talent, my possessions, my money, all that stuff was, was worthless and pointless at that point, right? So it was completely in the hands of somebody else. And, um, you know, it was God's hands, right? That I was, I was ultimately in that point, right? So that's how I went into the surgery. And, uh, yeah. So you woke up. That's why you're here. Or am <laughs> I, I talking up, I to mean, a zombie? Obviously, you know, uh, I, I did wake up. It's a Halloween joke. Go on. <laughs> uh, I did wake up. Um, I did wake up. Uh, and and I, it, it took me a little bit of, of time to realize that I was alive, right? Because I, I basically woke up in the ICU um, uh, disoriented um, from, from surgery. And, uh, um, you know, it took me about maybe about five minutes before I realized, hey, I'm, I'm still alive, right? Which means I'm not in heaven yet. Uh, I'm still on earth. Uh, God preserved my life, right? So at, I, was a little, I was, of course, grateful at that point. Did you see blood on the light? What, what do you, do mean you remember the, when you woke up, was the, was the blood still No, no, I was, I was off the table. Right? Oh, you're off the I, table. I was, I, was, uh, I was in the uh, ICU. Right? Okay. I was in the ICU. So I woke up in the ICU. This is seven hours later, right? So I was out for seven hours. Um, and I woke up in the ICU and that was a, that was a crazy experience because, um, they had, they had to tie my hands down yeah. to the bed, uh, because, uh, I was coming off of anesthesia and my natural tendency would be to start pulling things, right? Cause I had, had a ventilator in me, I had a nose line going to my stomach. I had, uh, I was still connected to the heart machine. I think, uh, I had all these tubes coming out of everywhere. So my natural tendency would be just to pull stuff into, into like thinking uh, like, where am I and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So they, they, they had my hands tied to the bed and the nurse was there to try to just calm me down because right? I was like, you know, panicking a little bit, like, where am I? All this kind of stuff. 
And so after about 20, 30 minutes, uh, the, the nurse finally, I mean, the nurse finally said like, hey, we can take you off the ventilator so you can breathe a little bit better. Mm. Um, so they took it out of my, my throat and I was in pain, but I was more, more than I was in pain, I was just thirsty, right? I was like asking for water. Um, and they said, basically, you can't have water for six hours, right? Six hours after your surgery, you can't have any water. But we're feeding you water through your uh, through your nose to your stomach, right? But I was like, I'm, dude, I'm thirsty, right? Like I'm parched, right? Like give me some water. And they're like, okay, you just gotta wait. We can let you gargle some some water in your mouth, but you promise you can't swallow. So I was like, okay, all right, just, just help me, help me with that. Um, but I had to basically count down the minutes of six hours until they can feed me water, right? So the first you know amount of suffering that I was going through was just like being thirsty as heck and um, waiting for them to feed me water. Um, so I was just I was super thirsty. And then, uh, and then finally, after I got the water, I started feeling a little better. But the uh, sedatives, anesthesia started to really wear off and yeah. then the pain kicked in, right? So up until this point, like I had no idea how bad that pain would be, right? Because I had a little bit of taste of the pain when I had the, the chest pain initially. Yeah. But the pain like, was like in full gear after the surgery right it was just was it was it a like a switch on sharply or was it gradual it was gradual but it really ramped up like i I could feel something was definitely wrong after surgery i could feel it but but as as the sedatives and anesthesia wore off the pain just like ramped up like crazy right i was like man like it was just it was just like so so before the surgery uh, when i had chest pain i would say it was like a you know on a pain scale of 10 it was like probably like a four or five right at this point, it was like a, like an eight or a nine. It was like super ramped up. Felt like two hundred pounds of pain was like, or, or of, of of pressure was like constantly on my body, mm. my chest, just just like pressing down. Right, I was just sitting on the bed, like couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything, and that pain, how how long did your sense of gratefulness last? <laughs> <laughs> that the fact that you woke up. Yeah, not long, honestly. Right, not long. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I was grateful I was alive, but then I was like, dude, this pain is just like the pain just overwhelmed me. Yeah. At that point, the pain was just like overwhelming uh, sense of pain. Um, and, and so what I did was I asked for, uh, the, I asked the nurses for payments, more, more payments, yeah. right? So the nurse came up to me and she's like, you know, sir, you're already on a bunch of meds, but we can give you this other med uh, uh, called um, oxycodone, I think, um, which is like a similar effect to morphine. Right, which is yeah. like a serious uh, pain pain med, um, and we can inject it into your your uh, your neck, and it'll basically circulate your body. But there's going to be pretty bad side effects, right? So mm. she already warned me on this. I'm like, just mm. give it to me, right? Just give it to me. Just couldn't take it, right? Uh, and so she injected it into my my neck um, and circulated my body. But what happened was immediately my body just rejected it, and I threw up, right? So I just immediately vomited. Uh, like purple liquid, which is mixed. I think it was it was it was probably a mixture of of the of the the meds plus blood in my system, plus phlegm, et cetera, et cetera. And it just it just all came out, right? So it just spewed out of my mouth onto my bed, onto the nurses, <laughs> and so they were, you know, it was it was, a, it was a real gross moment, right? I remember it sharply in my head, like just vomiting all over my bed, and uh, and the nurses had to clean me up, um, and and that was an experience, just just of that. So, um, I remember thinking at that point, either I had a choice between 
asking for more of this med to deal with the, the pain of the, 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 you know, I was feeling on my chest pain or just, just to deal with the chest pain. So I actually decided to deal with the chest pain because vomiting was worse. Right? Yeah. Every time I vomited, my, my, my chest would expand. Yeah, right? it and probably it makes it worse. It was, was worse, right? It was worse. So I decided, just don't give me any more of that stuff. I'd just rather take that pain and just live with it, right? Yeah. Um, so there was, those, was, those were the two experiences so far of just dealing with this intense pain. Um, but what was interesting was uh, on day three, um, you know, I had the worst experience, right? That wasn't, those weren't the worst experiences yet. Yeah. Um, the worst experience actually happened on day three, um, saving the best for last. Like they told me at that point on day three, um, you know, I would be good enough basically to, to be transferred out of the, the ICU. Yeah. Right. So they're like, they're like, you know, you're making good progress. You're able to eat, you're able to go to the bathroom. Uh, so let's transfer you out of the ICU. Right. And that's going to be a big step in your recovery. Um, but what we need to do for, for us to transfer you out is we need to take, a, take out the tubes that were connected to, to my chest, right? So just, um, just a little bit of background, I had these two chest tubes, huge chest tubes were sticking out of my, my wound site, right? Um, and basically one, I think, I don't know how the contraption works, but basically it was to pump out dirty blood from my wound site into this canister mm. that was next to my bed, right? So I was constantly being connected to this canister with these chest tubes it was i think like an air pump or something sucking out the blood and transferring it in there right so also has these other tubes like smaller tubes pumping uh um you know um i think medicine like periodically to my uh wound site right and so the surgeon was like yeah we need to take out those chest tubes so that uh you'll you'll basically recover a lot quicker after that right um and so so this is the start of the crazy episode, right? I remember my friends that just left um, and uh, they're like, you know, I didn't think too much of it. Yeah, you were probably point, like just taking out the tube. How, how bad can it get? Yeah, right? yeah. Like it was just part of my recovery. I was already a lot better at that point, And I yeah. was just like, oh, this is, you know, this is great. Uh, so I didn't think too much of it. Um, and so uh, the, the surgeon comes in, uh, one of the junior surgeons, I think, uh, and the nurse, there's two of them. They pull the, the you know, blinds closed my room like okay let's let's do it right and so they start to take off some of the the bandages that i had on me and then i and then i I had the first shot of what it looked like or under all the bandages and it looked gross right it had it just looked like a like a horror show like i I just i mean i couldn't like i had this like huge scar right with like stitches there i had tubes sticking out of me i had uh i had like blood like dried blood everywhere and so she starts using like a like a scalpel plus um like a like a pick or something to start to cut open the 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 uh the stitches right mm. and as, as she started playing around with those stitches i immediately started feeling pain so i was like oh man this is hurting right and i asked her does this whole process hurt and she was like it depends mm. she's like some patients uh complain a lot about it and uh others don't right and i was like i like my chances that's like 50 50 so it's probably not that bad right so i was thinking in my mind is probably not that bad um but as soon as she starts playing around with those things i'm like it's really hurting man it's this is crazy right this pain is like crazy sharp uh and then she starts to pull yank on one of the tubes and i immediately start screaming i'm like dude like dude that's that's really painful right and uh um well she for the whole time she didn't say anything she was she was trying to calm me down and i think a little bit of inexperience on her part. I don't blame her. I think she was pretty young. Um, she was like, 
it's okay, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. So all, that's all basically all she said. She's like, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, she's pulling it out. I'm like, it's not okay. It's like it hurts like crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, and 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 what I what I actually said was, I'm like, um, you know, as, as she starts pulling it out, I'm like, stop, stop. Um, can you call my girlfriend to come in, right? And uh, and and the nurse and her look at each other and she's like, okay, okay. So so let's get her in, right? So, so the nurse goes out, uh, and my my girlfriend's is waiting outside the ICU. And so the nurse goes up to her and she's like, hey, you know, your your boyfriend's calling for you. Uh, can you come in to support him? Uh, but are you okay with this, with this, you know, seeing kind of this, this uh, blood and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she's like, um, no, but I think I need to be in there uh, just to support him. And she, com- she comes in and she sees me in pain already. And she, she's like, she, she looks at me and she's like, oh man, this is not good, right? So she comes by my head, holds my hand and starts to like support me. She starts praying for me. So you had two tubes at the time. One of them yeah. was yeah. a quarter out. Yeah, yeah. More than a quarter out. Yeah. Uh, and a quarter means, you know, they told me actually that, that there was 20 cm of one tube was 20 cm inside of my body, right? So imagine that 20 cm had to come out. Um, and the other tube, they didn't tell me how much at that point. So she's like, we need to get this one tube out. Uh, and so she starts yanking, starts yanking again. And I'm like holding my girlfriend's hand and I'm like screaming like crazy. My body. Was it not coming out naturally? That's why she had to yank? No, they had to, they had to be slow because of my screaming, right? And yeah. they had to be, they had to be careful. Right? They had to be careful, you know, um, uh, because I'm guessing the reason why I hurt so much was a lot of dried blood. Uh, it was very deep inside the wound site. And also uh, maybe, maybe some of the nerve, uh, the nerves on my body were starting to grow on top of the, on the tubes, right? Probably. Uh, and so I was feeling every single yank, like every single motion, it would feel like crazy, right? It was just like super sharp pain, like a 10 out of 10. Right, and so she was pulling, uh, and the, the surgeon was pulling, and I was screaming. Uh, it's funny because, like, you know, you can imagine if you're looking at that scene, it was like, you know, role reversal. Usually, it's a it's a girl, you know, and a guy supporting her, and you know, the surgeon's like, or the the, the delivery uh, doctor is like, push, push, push. Right, it's like a it's like a scene of giving birth. Yeah. But I was there, you know, and they're pulling, right? So it's just kind of the role reversal, kind of a funny thing to think about. But as she was pulling, um. At one point, I couldn't take it anymore because so my body was fully in shock. My, my heart rate was super high. Uh, my blood pressure was super high. And I just said, I can't take it anymore. I just like stopped, right? So I just basically didn't let them touch me anymore. And uh, she's like, fine, fine. We'll, we'll give you a break. Let you calm down a little bit. And she starts to talk to the nurse and they start to like go off to the side a little bit and be like, you know, chatting about something, right? So I was again, just like super exhausted from the pain. But I know they're talking about something. I just don't know what they're talking about. And so she comes back to me and she's like, okay, sir, um, let me just see something, right? Let me just see something. And I'm like, okay. So, so I kind of put my guard down and she, uh, she's like, let me just see, see, see. All of a sudden she just yanks, full yank and takes it out, the whole thing out. Oh. And I just, like, I was just like in so much shock and so much pain. And then she's like, okay. Let's stitch him up. So she, she starts stitching me up and so she has one hole done, right? Um, and I was just like crazy. Right? And, 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 and then, of course, that was a good move in retrospect because um, they, I wasn't, I just, there was no progress, right? I wouldn't let them touch it. So they, they needed to do that. But it was just like a, it was like a punk move, right? I'm like, what, right. Are, you, what are you doing, right? Um, and, uh, you know, again, uh, it's, it's, it's a one-time thing. They can only pull that move one time because I'm like, I don't Once trust you done. anymore. Right? Yeah. yeah, like she lost my trust right after that. Um, 
so she could only pull that move one time. So how did she pull out the second one? So she was like, "Sir, the reason why we had to do this is because we can't uh, we can't extend this period and I mean this this process any longer. Mm. The longer that we we don't pull out the tubes, higher chance of uh, infection of like uh, blood or, or water or air getting in there, and it's just mm. gonna be complicated. So we need to get it as fast as as we could, right? Yep. At that point, it was already an hour past, right? So so they're like, we need to get it out. So I had one tube left, and I'm like, at that point, I'm like, dude, I just have to just muster up my courage, the remaining courage that I have, just do it, right? Just, just take it, just take it out, right? Just one swift motion, just yank it. She's like, all right, um, you know, sir, I, I know how hard it's going to be, but don't worry. It's only like, I think this second tube only like 4CM in there. It's not going to be as bad, right? So just, just take it, right? So Was it just, really 4CM? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. But they just yanked it. They just yanked the second one. And I knew it, right? So I just had to, I just had were, to clench my Were you my watching fist. them doing it as they, as they start? I don't, I don't remember. close your I eyes? Um, I think I was just screaming so hard. I was just, I was in so much pain. Um, I don't remember that. Um, but uh, yeah. my girlfriend couldn't even look, right? She's like, she's just, she's just like holding my hand and, and like, I think looking at my face and stuff like that. Um, I think the nurse and the surgeon were both like, oh, we got we to gotta just do this, right? They yanked it and then spitched me back up. And then they're like, okay, we'll leave you. We'll leave you, right? Because they knew that I was, uh, I, was just, uh, I was just going berserk, like, like hysterical. Um, so they left me. And, um, and so I just had to recover. I had to take maybe an, an, another hour before I fully cal- calmed down, um, before my body went out of shock, right? So... That was a crazy experience. Like out of everything that happened in this whole experience, that one episode of an hour was the most ex- most pain I've ever experienced in my entire life. Like by far, um, I wish I wouldn't wish that on anybody. That was just an insane experience. Um, but again, in retrospect, I realized that that had to happen for me to get to the next level of recovery. Right? I had to go through that that painful experience because right after that, I could breathe better. Right, my pain uh, actually went down a lot. My chest pain went down a lot. I could actually get up and go to the bathroom myself. I had um, I had much better recovery after that. So again, I realized that you know that pain served a purpose. I needed to get through that pain, even though it was really tough. But that pain taught taught me to uh, to appreciate um, you know recovery and and all of its you know magnitude and whatnot. So looking back on that, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't you know, want to wish that on anybody. Mm. But I realized that was a big part of my recovery. That was a big part of, of, of God letting me go through that stuff so that I can learn to rely on him, to learn to, uh, to trust, learn to know that, you know, pain serves a purpose, right? So pain serves a purpose and recovery and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, your recovery kind of shifted to a higher gear. Yeah. yeah. You, how long did you stay at the... Uh... Um, not the ICU, right? You were at the no. They 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 were going to transfer me out, but funny enough, uh, the normal ward were out of beds, so I was on standby for a real bed or like a like a normal bed um, for for three more days after three days in the ICU. So yeah. I was in the ICU for six days, and they only charged me like three days in the ICU, which is awesome because I had twenty four hour uh, uh, you know nurse support and whatnot. Um, again, in re- in retrospect, that was a blessing to be there. Um, and they actually discharged me straight from the ICU to go home mm. on day six or seven. I remember. Um, and I went home after that and, uh, been recovering since. 
So it's now been six and a half weeks since my recovery, and I'm doing pretty well. So, uh, you know, praise God for that. Um, I went through this experience. It's happy to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just a side note, um, hmm. I went to hear a speech hmm. two weeks ago at the church yeah. um, about your whole experience. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it was a second time, but for a lot of the, the guys, especially the youth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how much they understood. It was the first time for them yeah. to take in the message. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was definitely a, um, a very meaningful yeah. message to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what were your biggest takeaways from this? Yeah, I, I forgot to share something that was uh, the most impactful for me, which gave me enough strength and courage and faith to go through the whole thing. Right. right. Um, one, one direct way that God spoke to me through this whole thing. I mean, there are many, right? There are many, but just one thing that I wanted to bring out was um, a, a Bible verse that I believe God directly uh, uh, and divinely uh, gave to me um, right before my surgery. Um, it was uh, so. What? Just a little bit backstory on this. Um, a year ago, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, going to my church service where I spoke two weeks ago. Uh, so I've been at IBC for, uh, for a couple of years now, and I've been serving in the youth ministry and whatnot, um, you know, just mentoring some of the youth and whatnot. And I got close to uh, one of the uh, youth there, mm. and she invited me to a party um, about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. Mm. And, you know, uh, I was there, and she gave each of, her, of, of the, you know, the, the people who came to their party um, a bookmark. And on the bookmark, she had written our names, and she put a, a special verse on the bookmark and a personal verse, and to give to out to everybody, right? Mm. So she chose that that bookmark. I mean, that the verse, and then and she designed the bookmark and everything, gave it out to all of us. So I took that bookmark home after one, uh, um, you know, after that night, and I put it in my Bible. And um, funny enough, it's been in my Bible for a whole year, right? But I never looked at what that verse said. So for the whole time, it's been in my Bible. It's been using as a bookmark. But after I'd found out about this, um, this um, you know, congenital heart defect that I had, I opened my Bible one day to do quiet time in the morning just to pray and ask for God for strength and whatnot and, and to see whether he'd be speaking to me. I looked at that bookmark and I noticed the first time I'd read what that bookmark said, that the verse that was written on the bookmark. Mm. And it's, uh, it said, it was, it said, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm seventy three twenty six. Right? So when I read that, like the words just jumped out at me, right? It was just one of those like crazy moments when I saw that. I'm like, dude, that's God speaking directly to me, right? Again, the verse says, my heart, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, again, I was just dis- dissecting the words. Like my heart and my, my flesh may fail. What does that mean? That means, like, literally, I have a heart that is failing or may fail. It's 50% blocked, right? Um, and yet, even with a failing heart, the verse says, uh, God is the strength of my heart forever, right? So that gave me, su- like, it just gave me so much hope, gave me so much strength and faith, knowing that God was speaking to me directly. Because then I thought at the time, like, who designed me? Right? Who gave me this heart that's, you know, in a way defective or broken? Mm. God did. Right? He designed me that way. 
and he knew for 30, 30 plus years. Um, I would live with it not knowing it, playing basketball, working out, like bench pressing, doing all these crazy things. And he would be the one to protect my heart, to guard my heart. Uh, and, and, um, and he's actually the strength of my heart. So when I got that verse, I, I just knew at that moment, like it was God speaking to me, right? It was God um, uh, telling me that he's got me, right? Um, who's got me? God's got me, right? He's got me um, and he's the strength of my heart. So, um, you know, that was the biggest takeaway. The biggest takeaway from this whole experience was knowing that, um, why, why did I go through this experience? It's to know that actually my life is not in my own hands, right? As, as much as we, we try to work out and, and do things uh, to improve our own life, to, to get stronger, to get more talented, to advance in our career, to, uh, to have a family, you know, good things, right? Um, but actually, we're not in control, right? Somebody else is in control. Um, and at that moment, I knew it, right? I knew it. And I knew that God was, was the one in control of all of this. So that's actually how I had enough courage and strength and faith to go through this whole thing. And I think God knew that I needed that strength and I, I needed that direct message from him to go through it. So um, this is what I told the youth, right, at IBC. I'm like, you know, at, at, at all times, um, there's reasons for why we have challenges. There's reasons for why we go through difficulties in life. It might yeah. be God telling us um, to rely on him. It might be God telling us um, that he, he, he needs us to realize our own uh, inadequacies, our own weaknesses and failures. But in the end, he's the one who's going to help us over- overcome those things if we trust in him. So, yeah, right. These are, this is what I learned. It, it just puts things into perspective. Mm. Um, most of the, what you thought were the, the, the challenges, the uh, annoying parts of life, mm. the, the lemons, <laughs> are yeah. not really lemons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if you really uh, take a step back yeah. and think about in the grander scale of things, everything has a purpose, has a plan, but also you are bigger than whatever's yeah. in front of you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, uh, like I, I definitely believe that nothing happens um, randomly in life. Like there's a connection to everything because if there is a God, God, in his sovereignty and his power, um, allows things to happen under his control, right? If he is God and he has ultimate power and ultimate purpose and ultimate sovereignty uh, and goodness and love, then nothing happens without him allowing it to happen, right? So there's no randomness, right? So everything, you know, I talked about in my story and there's so many details I left out, but they all fit together like a puzzle. Right, and I didn't realize that until after the fact. I mean, I'm I'm still realizing it now how it all fits together, but we're not going to know that as humans because we're not we don't our brains aren't big enough to understand God's design or God's purpose for everything, right? So we don't we don't we can't understand it. It's impossible for us, but God knows it, right? And so, you know, as a Christian, um, our only purpose is just to allow Him to uh, to do everything and put our hands. Uh, in his hands, so that um, you know that um, we realize we're not in control, and we realize that um, God is the one behind everything, and to give Him back the the glory and whatnot. So, um, I think this this urge for control, yeah, or um, this obsession with control, is the source of a lot of mysteries in our lives. Mm-hmm. 
and um, if you take that message to apply it to even broader things, yeah. once you realize how little is your control, how much is not determined by your decisions, your actions, mm. you can focus a lot better on what's in your hands. I, and I you can move on day to day with much um, better mental space, uh, mm. inner peace. Um, yeah. A lot less less conflicts and mis- miseries in the world. I agree. I agree. Um, like you just said, uh, if you if you have a worldview that uh, relies on, well, everything is random and everything is in my own hands. Like everything that happens is in my own control, and my future, my fortune, my my fate is all dependent on what I do. Think about the pressure that gives you in life, right? So once you have any kind of failures, any type of, you know, you get cancer or you get what I have, right? That just throws everything out of whack, and you have no control. You realize that, well, what can you do, right? You you we only live like at the max 80, 90 years in this life. Right. How, yeah. how do we, how do we have, how can you live life with that much uh, pressure of control over your life? Right. Right. Um, but as you said, I mean, if you have a different worldview, which is, was, was a worldview that I have, which is, no, we're not, our lives are not in our own control. Um, it's actually in the control of somebody else. But who is that somebody else, right? If, who's the qualities, who's, the, what are the characteristics of that somebody else? That is, you know, in, in, in my perspective, it's a God who is, you know, all powerful, all, all good, all loving, all, um, all uh, just as well. Then we can leave all the uncertainties of life, the evils of life, the sufferings of life into his hands. And then it takes off the pressure of us because we're like, well, I have responsibility in life to, to honor God and to, to live right. But not everything is in mind control. Mm. Right. Even if I was facing something really difficult, I know that uh, mm. there must be a purpose for that. Right. And God allows it for a reason. Mm. Yeah. I think, um, if I may shift gears a little, I, it's today is a very opportune time to have you on this podcast because mm. uh, I just learned it's your first day returning back to work. Oh yeah. At NTU, going back yeah. to your office. Yeah. Haven't resumed teaching yet, but yeah. I assume going back to your, um desktop job looking at the screens doing research work um being that environment um reflecting back comparing this today to when you first felt the chest pain Mm. what did you feel i i could only imagine what was going on in your head yeah i mean the way you look at things look at research teaching Mm. your job family what was going on at the time today yeah, good question. Uh, it was a little bit bizarre because just turning the key to go into my office today, the last time I was in my office was two and a half months ago when I left the office with chest pain, right? I mean, well, on the way to go teach. Uh, but just sitting on my desk again today, I was like, man, the last time I sat here was before I knew any of this was, was going to happen, right? I was just living normally at that time. And, and uh, I had that realization today. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm alive today, right? I'm actually alive today. That's, that's you know, that, that was out of my hands. And um, I'm grateful, right? I was, I was sitting at my desk thinking, you know, yeah, I'm grateful to be alive, grateful to have this job, to, to, to be able to teach and do research at NTU, um, to live like normally again, hopefully, right? So I think it's, a, it's kind of a newfound respect for life in a sense 
newfound purpose. Um, and then also knowing that things like, you know, we can all have bad days, right? We can all right. have days where, oh, I mean, you know, like we lose a basketball game or we, we like, uh, things are more like things are worse than that. Maybe we lose our job. Uh, we, stuck in traffic. Stuck in you traffic. Know. <laughs> like small things like even bigger things, right? Even bigger yeah. things like, you know, what's, what's the big deal, right? Like, right. like, yeah, those things can happen, but, um, you know, like who's really in control, right? And what is the purpose of all this stuff, right? If you don't have a purpose in life, you don't know where you're going, where, what you're doing in life and, and what your purpose is, then, uh, like just go around, like trying to live life. It's, it's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna, you know, it's gonna be difficult, right? So I have that respect now. Like I know, um, I've been giving a second, second chance in life, like a second act in my life. You know, I'm not going to waste it, right? I'm not going to waste it worrying about small things, about things that really don't matter, right? So, yeah, not everyone has a chance to live twice or yeah, have, have this renewed perspective. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So I think the, the cliche is there are only a few days in your life that really defines it. Although you could live for many, many years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, thank you, Caleb, for thank sharing you. one of these um, defining moments in your life mm. and sitting with us here today. I think um, I think the key message is to really not take every day for granted. Mm -hmm. um, and you should put things always in perspective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the last thing I, I want to say is, uh, I mean, for those who are watching and whatnot, um, you know, ask whether whatever your worldview is, right? Your worldview has to make sense, right? Um, and and just think about who really is in control. Is it you? Is it some other greater power? Is it is it? And who is that greater power? And mm. what evidence do you have that that person or that thing or that being exists, right? So you have to you have to think about these things. Uh, for your life to make sense. And again, uh, I think honestly, the only thing that makes sense in my life um, and, and, um, and as my understanding of this world is that there is a God, right? There is a God who is in control. And um, the invitation that he extends to each one of us is that we can get to know him and he can save us if we trust in what he's done for us, which is what he, done, what he did through uh, his son, Jesus Christ. So, um, that's my challenge, right, to, to everybody to think, hey, you, you know, think about it, right? Think about it, right? Um, life is fragile. Um, I don't ex hope nobody goes through the experience that I have. I know people will have different challenges as well. Hopefully they can take from my experience that there is a purpose in life. Um, not everybody gets a second chance, but when you are given a second chance, don't waste it, right? And don't waste your life um, mm. and seek that purpose or try to find it. Mm. Yeah, as a friend, I'm just very happy that you're alive and sitting with us here today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah for sure. Well, on that note, I wish you the best to the rest of your recovery journey. All right. Thank you. Thank yeah. you.